Section 14 of The Three Commanders. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Manalakis. The Three Commanders by William Henry Giles Kingston. Chapter 11, Part 2. We must leave the midshipmen in their perilous predicament and follow the gauntlet, which, having captured one of the dows, of which she was in chase, as has been described, stood after the other two. They were both fleet vessels, and with their enormous sails filled to bursting, seemed to glide over the surface like those winged creatures which may be seen in summer skimming across the surface of a pool. The boilers were heated to the utmost, and with sail and screw, the ship dashed forward in chase. The nearest dow was the first to haul in for the shore, while the other continued her course, hoping to escape. "'The first bird is already ours,' observed Jack to Higson. "'She'll not venture to run her stern on the rocks, and if we attempt further to interfere with her, we shall lose the second. If she ventures to run out to sea, we shall have time to settle with the one ahead and catch her into the bargain.' The dow spoken of was continuing her course towards the shore, with the intention, it was supposed, of anchoring, and waiting till she could again make sail, and run out to sea before the ship had settled with her consort. The gauntlet stood on as before, though she was gaining little, if anything, on the fast-sailing dow. Still, one of the shot or shells she was firing might carry away a mast or tear the sail in pieces, and Jack, trusting to that chance, hoped to capture her at last. A stern chase is a long chase, under most circumstances, and the Arabs probably thought that they might possibly keep ahead till nightfall, and escape during the darkness. She was a large vessel, and she might have three or four hundred slaves on board, and was on every account therefore worth catching. On she went for several miles, the gauntlet inch by inch at length gaining on her. Two shot had already passed through her sail and a shell had burst so near that possibly some of her crew might have been hit. Gradually she was edging towards the shore, where a sandy beach could be discovered from the ship. It was of no great extent, as there were rocks at either end, but if the dow could reach it, she might be run on shore, and the blacks landed before the boats could reach her to prevent them. To stop her from doing this was impossible, unless a happy shot should carry away her mast or yard. Nearer and nearer she drew to the beach, on which a heavy surf was breaking. "'The fellows will drown themselves if they attempt to land there,' said Jack. "'I'm not so certain of that,' answered Higson. "'A certain percentage may be lost, but the Arabs will care nothing about that, provided they can get the greater number on shore. As they themselves swim like fishes, they have no fear of losing their own lives.' The dow heeled over to the breeze, but still kept her large sail standing. There was no longer any doubt that the Arabs had resolved to beach her. "'Give her a shot!' cried Jack. "'Right over her! It may show them that even if they do reach the shore, they have no chance of escaping from us.' A shot was fired, another, and another followed, flying over the dow's sail and pitching into the beach, towards which she was rushing to her destruction. Should she strike it, could any of the human beings on board escape? The surf was rolling in heavily, and breaking with continued roar on the sand rushing far up, and then receding with still greater rapidity. Notwithstanding this, the Arabs, maddened at the thoughts of capture, stood desperately on. They themselves might escape, 
and what mattered to them the lives of their wretched captives? Should a few be rescued, it would be better than letting the whole fall into the hands of the hated white men. The miserable blacks had no choice between a speedy death or a lingering captivity. The foam-topped breakers were dancing up on either side of the devoted vessel. Through them she rushed, and the next instant, by the fearful heave she gave, it was seen that she had struck. Every glass was turned towards her as the ship stood on, keeping the lead going till, the water shallowing, she must come to an anchor. A minute scarcely had elapsed after the dow struck, when a black stream was seen issuing from beneath her, some moving figures on shore in colored dresses showing that the Arabs had first escaped. But of what does that string consist? Of hundreds of human beings, men, women, and children, who had, when the vessel struck, been set free by their owners. Now one breaker, now another, burst down upon them and carried some of the dark string away. Their ranks were quickly filled up, and on the string went. It seemed never-ending as the blacks in the hold, scrambling up on deck, threw themselves overboard to join those who had already reached the shore. "'They must be stopped at all events,' cried Jack. "'If they attempt to cross the desert, they will be starved to death, or fall into the hands of the murderous Somalis.' Notwithstanding the heaviness of the surf, it was soon seen that a large number of blacks had reached the shore. At first they assembled in groups, but now, as they looked towards the ship, terrified by the tales their Arab captors had told them of the white men's cannibal propensities, they began to fly as fast as their cramped limbs would allow them in parties towards the interior. "'They will escape to their certain destruction if they are not frightened back,' said Jack. "'Keep the guns playing!' Fire another shot ahead of them. It will stop them from going off in the direction they are taking. Several shot were fired over the heads of the fugitives, each column being turned as the wretched beings saw the sand thrown up just before them, and believed that destruction would await them if they took that direction. It was, however, only to try and escape in another. In the meantime, the instant the steamer had stopped her way, three boats had been lowered, and, impelled by their hardy crews, regardless of the danger run, were making their way towards the dow. Two boldly pushed through the surf, while the third brought up just outside the breakers, ready to receive any of the slaves who might be caught. Archie Gordon was in one, with the second master. The boatswain was in another, with Hamid, the interpreter, while Higson took command of the large boat. Jack watched them with no little anxiety, for the expedition was a hazardous one. The guns continued firing away, now by their shot or shell checking the advance of the fugitives in one direction, now in another. Still, in spite of the shot, the Arabs kept urging on the slaves, and making them scatter far and wide, induced them to continue their flight. The two boats, at some little distance apart, entered the breakers, and almost immediately were seen to have reached the shore, while Mr. Large remained by the boats with three hands to look after them. The rest of the party, led by Archie and Hamed, set off in pursuit of the fugitives. Strong and active, they quickly overtook a large party of the blacks, and Hamid, as was seen by his gestures, was addressing them, probably telling them of their folly in being alarmed, and advising them to return to the shore. As the crews had landed, the boats had been hauled off by their crews from the beach. Presently, Mr. Large was seen hauling one of them up on the beach, and having done so, he hastened away towards the second. But before he arrived, she was observed in the midst of the breakers, the next instant to be cast a shattered wreck on the beach. 
He and the two men with him twice rushed down into the surf, the second time with another man who had joined them. Again and again they made the same desperate rush into the boiling waters. The life of a fellow creature depended upon their success. The last rush they made were successful, and a human form was soon dragged out of the water, but he did not rise to his feet. Carrying him up some little distance, they laid him on the sand, bending over him, then, rising and casting a lingering glance behind them, hurried on to meet a party of blacks who, escorted by some of their shipmates, were approaching the beach. The Arabs and fugitive slaves had, in the meantime, disappeared over the sand hills, with the seamen still in hot pursuit, enjoying the chase, shouting to each other, and turning here and there as they caught sight of the larger party of blacks ahead, whom they were striving desperately to overtake. Sometimes one, in his eagerness, would tumble over on his nose, but quickly picked himself up again. Now an unfortunate black was overtaken and seized by the arm, for collar he had none to catch hold of. Down he would fall to his knees, imploring his captor not to murder him, when the sailor would pat him on the head and try to make him understand that his intentions were friendly. Hamid, with his robes girded round him, was as active as anyone, shouting to the blacks that no harm was meant them, and that the sailors only wished to prevent them from being carried off into the desert to perish miserably. His exhortations and the seamen's activity resulted in the capture of fifty or sixty blacks, who were brought in from all directions. But still, some of the seamen continued the pursuit, and Jack, fearing that they might be carried by their ardor too far, fired a gun and hoisted a signal for their return to the beach. Fortunately, the signal was seen by Archie, and the stragglers returned, most of them leading one or more blacks, some with children in their arms, one or two trotting along with a child under each arm, generally squalling and crying like a couple of sucking pigs. It took some time before the whole of the party were collected on the beach. It was then seen that they were making arrangements for coming off. Jack felt considerable anxiety about the matter. The surf had greatly increased since they went on shore, and even then one of the boats had been lost. Now all depended upon one boat which must of necessity be heavily laden. He was not quite at his ease, however, with regard to the ship. She was much closer inshore than any sailing vessel would have ventured. Though he knew that the screw would enable him quickly to gain an offing, he had not, as yet, that thorough confidence in its powers which long experience could give. Nearly all his officers and a portion of his crew also were away. Indeed, he had never before been so short-handed. However, nothing could be gained by delay. He made a signal for the boat to come off as soon as possible, a line being carried from the first lieutenant's boat outside the surf to the shore, and by its means the small boat was to be hauled through the breakers. First, a portion of the blacks were placed in her, when the boatswain, taking a seat in the stern, with four hands to pull, she, with her living freight, was shoved off. Now she rose to the top of a sea which rolled in, and now she sank into the hollow between that and the following sea, which so completely hid her from sight that it appeared as if she had gone down. Jack heard one of the youngsters crying out, She's lost! She's lost! But no, once more her bow emerged amidst the foaming waters, and on she came towards Higson's boat his crew hauling away manfully at the tow-line. Jack breathed more freely when he saw her alongside, and the blacks being transferred to the large boat. The instant they were out of her, she made her way once more to the shore. A second cargo was now embarked, and the process was repeated, happily without any accident. 
She must make two more trips before they are all off, said Jack to the surgeon, who was standing near him. The third was accomplished as safely as the other two. The rest will have no difficulty in embarking, I hope, observed the surgeon. The sea has been rapidly getting up, replied Jack. I wish that they were all safe on board. The fourth and last trip was about to be made. Even the ship was much less steady than the, at first. As he took a glance to the eastward, he observed that the foam-crested seas which rolled in had increased in height. Every man on shore had embarked, and Higson's crew now began to haul in on the line. As they were doing so, a huge sea which came rushing on struck the boat, sending many a bucketful into her, and then, with a thundering roar, hissing as it went rolling on, caught the smaller boat, which had by that time performed half of her passage. Down it came upon her. The next instant the men at the warp were seen to come toppling down backwards. The rope had parted. For an instant the boat had disappeared. The next she was seen rolled over in the surf, while those who had been in her were struggling desperately to regain the shore. Jack felt more anxious than he had ever before been in his life. Fortunately, four of the crewmen had gone away in the boats. Numerous heads were seen amidst the seething waters. Now one emerged, and now another, as the beach was gained, while the gallant crewmen, with the best swimmers of the party, went darting here and there to assist their shipmates or the drowning blacks. All eyes in the ship were fixed on them. By degrees they emerged from the breakers, and Jack was in hopes that all had escaped. When he observed three of the crewmen and two of the sailors plunge once more into the foaming waters, they returned, dragging a body with them. Then they went in and brought out another and another. One of these, by his dress, was seen to be a seaman, and the rest were blacks. Then the party rushed down to save their boat, which was hurled on the beach, but their efforts to preserve her were in vain. Down she came with a thundering crash, those in the water narrowly escaping being crushed by her. Getting hold of her, they dragged her up and were seen standing round her. It was, however, very evident that her bow had been crushed in, so as to render her unfit again to be launched. Higson, on coming on deck, expressed his fears that some of their shipmates had lost their lives in addition to the poor fellow who was first drowned. Fifty blacks had been rescued, as many more possibly had been drowned, with numerous children whose bodies had been seen floating about, while many had been dragged off to undergo fearful sufferings, if not a cruel death, by the slaver's crew. How to rescue the party on shore was now the question, two boats having now been lost, and three others being away. Only the dinghy and a canoe remained for use. The situation on shore seemed dangerous in the extreme. All the arms they had carried had been lost, and should the Arabs discover their defenseless condition, they would certainly not lose the opportunity of avenging themselves. Still, by no ordinary means could they be got off. Jack bethought him of consulting Tom Kettle, who, coming aft, touched his hat. Billy Saucepan and I, we do it, sir. We go on shore in the canoe and carry whatever you wish to send, answered Tom. I am sure you will, said Jack. We must send them some arms and ammunition, a keg of water and some provisions, though it will not do to overload the canoe. We take four muskets and whatever you order to send. They not sink the canoe, replied Tom Kettle. Jack directed that the arms should be wrapped in oilcloth, and that they, with the keg and a small cask containing a few eatables for the party, should be secured in the bottom of the canoe, 
so that should she be capsized, they might not get washed out or be damaged. Going below, he also wrote a letter to Archie, directing him to fire off three muskets should the crewmen reach the shore in safety. All ready, sir, said the head crewman. We get there, never fear. The canoe was lowered, and Tom and his companions shoved off. Away they dashed, energetically working their paddles. The canoe was seen to enter the surf. Jack was too anxious to speak. They'll do it, cried the doctor, but he was mistaken. The canoe dashed into the surf, and the next instant appeared bottom uppermost, rolling over and over. The fine fellows are lost, he exclaimed. A time of anxious suspense passed by. Now the canoe could be seen in the surf, now she disappeared, but the gallant crewmen could not be discovered, though many an eye was looking out for them. Jack took a hurried turn on deck, considering what was next to be done. Higson proposed once more going in the large boat and sending a line on shore, so as to tow the people singly off. They would be drowned before they got halfway, said Jack. I fear they would, answered Higson, and the dinghy would never live in such a sea, even with only one man in her. Jack feared that he should have to remain till the next morning, but in the meantime he would certainly lose the other dhow which had been seen close in shore, while it was important to get hold of the first captured before dark and to carry her to an anchorage. While he and Higson were discussing the subject, their ears were saluted by the report of three muskets fired in rapid succession. Tom and his mate are safe at all events, he exclaimed, and the best thing the party can do is now to make their way overland to the bay. Having got arms, they will be able to beat off any Arabs who may venture to attack them. The proper signal was accordingly made to Archie, who showed that he understood it by waving a handkerchief, and the whole party were seen at once to put themselves into marching order when they began moving toward the southward along the shore. The anchor was then weighed, and the ship stood towards the spot where the dhow she before chased was last seen. The slaver, which had some time before hoisted her sail, was seen standing to the eastward, but suddenly down came the sail. "'She's given in, finding it useless to attempt escaping,' remarked the doctor. "'I'm not so sure of that,' said Higson. "'See, up goes her canvas again. There, she's standing for the shore on the other tack.' All hopes of cutting her off were vain. The ship dashed on, head to wind, while the dhow bounded towards the rocky coast. The madmen, cried Jack, she'll be dashed to pieces in a few minutes. Throw a shell ahead of her, and may induce the Arabs to haul down their sail. The missile flew over the doomed vessel, but still she held on towards the coast. Try and hit her, he cried out. It may be better to sink her where our boats can pick up some of the poor wretches than allow them to be dashed to pieces on those cruel rocks. Fire shot! Gun after gun sent their shot at the dhow, but the range was a long one, and tossed as she was from sea to sea, while the ship herself was far from steady, they flew ahead of their mark. Jack had a hard matter not to stamp on the deck from rage at the conduct of the Arabs, and pity for the poor creatures they were thus carrying to destruction. Nothing he could do would make the ship steam faster, nor could he blame the gunners for not taking better aim. "'Cease firing!' he cried at last. "'It is of no use now, as the dhow is within a cable's length of the breakers.' The dhow flew on with her huge sail stretched to the utmost, and already heeling over fearfully. It seemed that the water must be rushing into her hold. 
There is a narrow opening between the rocks, exclaimed Higson. The Dow has been making for that. Scarcely had he spoken when she was in the midst of the breakers. They roared around her, and the next moment she was hurled up towards the beach, her huge sail flying away to leeward and flapping wildly in the wind. It seemed impossible that any human being could escape from amid that furious mass of foam, except the strongest of swimmers. But notwithstanding this, ere another minute had passed, a black line was seen here and there, like some enormous serpent, crawling over the yellow sand from the dark wreck, the Arabs being distinguished by their colored dresses as they made their way on shore. Onward went the miserable blacks, the line becoming thinner and thinner. Still the headmost were flying, when an enormous sea, dashing on the shore, enfolded the stranded dhow in its embrace. Even the escaping blacks halted to gaze at the spectacle, as the despairing shrieks of their wretched countrymen reached their ears, while the dhow, shattered to fragments, was carried off with all those remaining on board by the receding billows. The blacks stopped but a few moments, and then, terror-stricken, fled on into the desert, there in all probability to perish miserably. "'This is terrible work!' exclaimed Jack. "'Had we allowed the Dow to pass, though those poor creatures might have been kept forever as slaves, they might have retained their lives. It may be, and better their condition. But it was our duty to destroy the Dow at all events. Do you think it possible that any can have escaped, Higson?' This question was put as the ship neared the scene of the catastrophe. Not likely, answered the first lieutenant, but we can but look for them. The ship's way was stopped, and a boat being lowered pulled towards the shore. Here and there a few fragments of the wreck were seen, but not a human being could be distinguished. After examining the rocks on either side of the spot where the dow went on shore, Higson returned to the ship. The boat was hoisted up, and a course steered for the dow which had at first been captured. Jack had been looking out for the shore party. He saw them, as he believed, still farther to the northward, making their way over the sand. A jury march they'll have of it, he observed to Higson, but with the firearms they possess they will be able, I hope, to keep the Arabs at bay, should any of the rascals take it into their heads to attack them. It is fortunate that Hamid is with them, as he may be able to communicate with any natives they may fall in with, and obtain them as guides over the hills, said Higson. I would rather they should not fall in with any natives, who are more likely to prove treacherous than to afford them assistance, answered Jack. The attention of the officers was now, however, engaged in looking out for the dow. Evening was approaching, and it was important that they should pick her up before dark. There she is, right ahead! cried the lookout from aloft. With her sail lowered, she presented but a small object on the water. The ship soon neared her. The officer in charge replied to Jack's hail. All's right, sir, but I hope that the blacks may be received on board. If you take us in tow, I doubt if the craft will hold together. The sooner they are out of her, the better, answered Jack. The dow was accordingly brought alongside, and now began the task of removing the unhappy beings to the ship. The men eagerly came forward to assist in carrying the weak and helpless creatures up from the hold of the slaver, the horrible odor from which was sufficient to overcome the most hardy. So weak and emaciated from their long confinement, and their still more dreadful overland journey, were most of the negroes, then the greater number could not walk without assistance, and were carried on deck in the strong arms of the seamen. 
with the greatest tenderness and care did those gallant fellows carry their helpless burdens notwithstanding the mass of filth with which they were covered in consequence of their long imprisonment in the pestilential hold there were nearly a dozen infants on board the mothers of some of them being too weak to carry them they were lifted up by the seamen who tenderly bore them along the deck chirping and talking to them as they would have done to their own offspring though two or three were sickly and one was found dead in its mother's arms yet they had suffered less than the somewhat older children who had been unable to obtain their share in the scramble for food which from the mode the arabs had of distributing it must have taken place the more helpless ones went without it while the stronger got a double portion there were nearly a hundred and fifty children under ten years of age some were in the very last stage of suffering and were mere skeletons there were comparatively few middle-aged men showing that they must have either fallen in battle or escaped the raids made on their villages by the slave procurers some again were old women who would it might be supposed from their very worthlessness have been allowed to remain behind by their barbarous captors the poor old crones would not have fetched half a dollar apiece observed higson had these rascals any bowels of compassion they would have spared them all the sufferings they've had to endure but for the sake of the few dollars they may pocket they would not mind what amount of torture they inflict i wish we had liberty to string up the whole lot of them at our yard-arms they would only get their proper deserts some time was spent before the dow was cleared her arab skipper and crew were then placed on the poop as they came sulkily enough on board they were received by the ship's corporal and corporal of marines with no friendly looks and were compelled pretty roughly to strip in order that they might be searched for arms and money while they took charge of their former articles the latter commodity was handed to the paymaster on their clothes being returned they were sent on to the poop under charge of a sentry to await their fate whatever that might be are all out of the dow asked higson of the carpenter and his crew who had been sent to board her i'll take one more look around was the answer and a lantern being handed to him he descended with some of his men into the hold they presently returned carrying three human beings but what they were it was difficult to say till they were handed up on board one proved to be an old woman who could scarcely open her eyes the other two were lads who had been found almost buried in the sand which served as ballast for the vessel they were placed among the other worst cases of whom the doctor expressed his belief that several were past recovery the younger and best-looking young women as being the most profitable part of the cargo had been better cared for than any of the rest while the men and boys had been almost starved the object of the arabs being to expend as little food for them as possible the dow is clear sir reported the carpenter scuttle her said jack and set her on fire the arabs shall see that we don't take them for the sake of their craft it may serve as a slight punishment for them to see her burning with infinite satisfaction the carpenter and his crew distributed some bundles of oakum and shavings in different parts of the vessel and setting them on fire quickly climbed out of her when jack shouted turn ahead and the gauntlet steamed on leaving the dow enveloped in flames the whole operation was so speedily performed that the arabs opened their eyes with astonishment most of them took it however quietly enough but the nagoda to whom the vessel belonged 
plucked his beard with rage as he saw his property destroyed. Serve him right, was the remark made by not a few of those on board, though the greater number were too actively employed to notice what had occurred. Their first business was to clear the unfortunate creatures from the filth with which they were literally covered from head to foot. Warm water and sponges and towels were brought from below to perform the operation on those who were too weak to bear any more severe process, while the larger number were placed under the steam hose, which was set to work pumping water over them, the seamen turning them round and exposing those parts of their bodies to which the dirt clung the thickest. "'Well, if we can't make a blockamore white, we can wash him clean at all events,' remarked Nat Bolas, the wag of the crew. "'Though I don't think as how we could have done it without the help of this here steam.' Even the stronger ones were handled kindly, but the poor weak creatures, who could scarcely lift their arms, were treated with such gentleness by the rough seamen as any trained hospital nurses could have used.' Their dirty rags on being removed were immediately thrown overboard as utterly unfit for further use. In the meantime, the cook had been busy in the galley boiling beans and rice, some of which had been found in the dow, though the ship had a quantity for such emergencies. The next operation was to clothe the poor blacks, for which purpose both officers and men ransacked their wardrobes. Sheets, tablecloths, towels, bed curtains, shirts, and flannels, were willingly brought forth and put over their naked bodies as they came out from under the hose. By the time they were all washed, the cook announced that the food was ready, and they were made to sit down in circles of twenty on the deck, when the men, told off for the purpose, carried round the bowls, which were placed in the center of each ring. The degraded state to which they had been reduced was now more fully exhibited, for instead of gratefully receiving the food, they rushed at it much as a pack of hungry dogs would have done, scratching, crying, and striking at each other, for fear that their neighbors might get a larger share than themselves. It was humiliating to the lookers-on to see beings with immortal souls thus acting the part of wild beasts, and yet these very beings were capable of receiving the truths of the gospel, and it might be hoped that even now many might have the opportunity of being raised to a state much superior to that from which they had fallen." In spite of the exhortations of the seamen to the poor creatures to be quiet, they continued their shrieks and cries, each thrusting his or her hand into the dish to seize as large a portion as it would hold, and then to cram it into their mouth much after the fashion of a monkey. Indeed, as Nat Bolas remarked, they looked for all the world like a snebblage of huge baboons. The smaller children, who were too weak to feed themselves, were committed to the care of the seamen and a dozen or more hardy tars were to be seen with basins and spoons in their hands, and little children on their knees, ladling the food down their throats, till the doctor had to interfere to save the infants from being killed from repletion. The worst cases had been removed to the sick bay, where every care was bestowed on them both by the surgeon and officers, who produced preserved milk, wine and spirits, and various delicacies which might assist in restoring almost exhausted nature. Many were too far gone to exhibit any feeling, their only desire apparently being to be allowed to die in peace. But others endeavored to express their gratitude by all the means in their power, though, as Hamid was on shore, they had no means of doing so in words. The great difficulty was to stow away so large a number of persons on the deck of the ship. Of course, they could not be allowed to go below, where the crew were already somewhat closely packed for that hot climate. The poor creatures were made to lie down, side by side, and sails being got up were spread over them, 
while screens were rigged to keep off the wind, and an awning stretched over all. Here, at all events, they had fresh air, and were tolerably protected from the weather. Even now many, it appeared, did not understand that all was being done for their benefit, while a large number, their limbs aching with pain, gave utterance to the most lamentable groans and shrieks, which were heard all night long throughout the ship, as she made her way to her former anchorage. This was only one of many similar scenes which Jack witnessed while engaged in the suppression of the slave trade. End of section 14